This is Brian Hill, and you're listening to The Night Nerd. Welcome to The Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance. It's Friday, so we're going to talk about what you want to talk about. And that is our fake history. We've been lucky enough to have Sebastian on the show all week. And so today we're going to look at the truth behind our fake history. All right. Welcome back. It's Friday and we've been super lucky all week to have Sebastian Major on our show. And he's back here today. Sebastian, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. Um, So you're with our fake history, which is a wonderful, wonderful, I could sit here for two minutes saying the word wonderful podcast um, that covers all sorts of awesome things and previously this week I've had you do like just a little elevator pitch recap of what your show is but today I really want to talk about you and your show and the the process and when I say process I mean from not from your birth but you know from you growing up to where we are now and want to lead it off with when did you first say I like history. This is what I what I like. Was there a moment in your childhood or formative years where you're like, wow, history's cool? You know what? I was into it really young. It was always my favorite subject in school. Um, I I think early on also I got um, I got into mythology. I remember in grade two bringing home this book of like illustrated Greek myths. And sitting down with my parents and, and having them read them to me. And, and I got so into that. And then that got me fascinated in actual ancient Greek history. And and then I wanted to find out about everything. And I, I got, I loved, I loved it all. I loved finding out about the history of my own country. And, you know, people often say that Canadian history is boring, but there's some cool stuff there too. Uh, and I... Uh, I, I loved it. I just started eating it up. And uh, by the time I was in grade eight, uh, I remember I had a really great history teacher uh, and she would do these uh, simulations with the class where we would um, we would be given like historical characters and we would act out these like giant sort of mock conferences. One was uh, the Confederation of Canada which is, uh, you know, Canada didn't have a revolution to uh, break away from uh, the British Empire like uh, you folks in the States. Instead, we sat down and had a long conference where we politely asked if we might please uh, have our own country. And so we got to act that out in grade eight. (laughs) Uh, And then there was another one where uh, there's another famous Canadian figure here called Louis Riel, who who led a very famous uh, rebellion in the what's now the province of Manitoba. Uh, And it's a really important moment in the history of uh, uh, settlers and indigenous people in Canada and a group known as the Métis, who were um, a group of people whose whose ancestors had been both uh, uh, like early uh, colonialists or colonizers and uh, and an indigenous Canadian indigenous people. They had their own society there. And at one point they rebelled against uh, the uh, at the time the British government and so the leader of this rebellion was a guy named Louis Riel and so we uh, acted out Louis Riel's trial and I remember I was the defense lawyer for Louis Riel uh, and uh, that was fun and look I still remember it really vividly and um, and I stuck with it and uh, eventually I, I I got to the point where I was doing my master's. Uh, in public history and living in in the capital of Canada, which is Ottawa, for those of you out there that that don't know your Canadian geography. Uh, So I was living in Ottawa and I was working in a a museum in Ottawa when I just finished my my master's. And I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a museum worker. And I found that that job was a little too solitary for... uh, my personality and I was like what I loved about being a master student where was running these seminars and talking to people about history and and teaching and I was like oh well I should be a 
history teacher. And so I went back and got my teaching degree and I have been teaching high school uh, here in the city of Toronto ever since. Nice. That's awesome. So I have a question on your show. I've heard you talk about the, the public history. What all does that encompass? Right. Yeah, I know. I tossed that term around a little bit uh, and uh, I should really define it because a lot of people don't know what it is. So public history is the study of how we represent our history in public. So all of this debate around what statues should be be up or should not be up, that's a public history issue. Or uh, how we are showing our history in our museums, that's a public history issue. Or um, are, what are we commemorating at big public events, uh, that's a public history issue. And so people that study public history often go into museum studies or uh, they work at museums or they, um, you know, pe some people in here in Canada ended up working for the federal government, um, you know, writing plaques for things. So it's the debates around what we choose to publicly remember, how we choose to publicly remember it, and uh, how we change things that we have chosen to publicly commemorate in the past. And uh, it's funny because when I when I got into this stuff, it was back in like 2009 when I was doing my my masters. Um, it was kind of a fringe study in the world of history, and now these issues are like the issues of our time. Like think about the 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 debates around public monuments. I it's I I always thought it was interesting, but now it's become you know one of the biggest parts of our public conversation. Um, and it's like, wow, my degree, my degree is actually valuable. What do you know? Uh, who would have thunk it? So there you go. That's what public history is. I think I explained it, right? That, oh, that yeah, yeah, that up. totally makes sense. And I live, I live down in Texas, so we're always having those conversations of this statue and that statue. And I mean, sure. we're, we're a little different. In, growing up, so when I grew up in grade school, we had a pattern like one year you did world history then u.s history then we did texas history and i think we're the oh, only yeah. state that does that um did y'all have kind of the the same thing up in canada like did you do world history canada history and then i don't like regional history or how did that work no so the way our history education is a little different here so uh you start well you're doing social studies generally right up until you get to grade seven and so social studies generally will like, you know, tells you about uh, kind of world history, but also kind of geography. And it's, it's a little more loose. It's a lot of the social studies sort of all wrapped into one and sort of uh, um, made age appropriate for, you know, grades, you know, four through six. Then in grade seven, they actually start teaching you a subject called history. And grade seven and eight is exclusively Canadian history. Um, and uh, but, you know, you can't really tell the story of Canada without telling the story of the world. Right. So Canadian history is also British history and it's also American history. Um, and so, you know, we, we are we're kind of a funny country because we're we're deeply influenced by those sort of two big cultural forces and also France uh, because of the history of, of French Canada and the colonial history of France in our country. Um, and then also our, you know, thousands of indigenous cultures. And that's something that I, our history education has been moving towards here as well as sort of better understanding uh, the history of, of the first people in Canada. Um, and so that's grade seven and eight. Then you don't have to take it in grade nine. In grade 10, you do 20th century Canadian history. Uh, and that's basically just like a class about World War One and World War Two. It's supposed to go from like 1900 to like 1980 is like that's actually the span of the course. But really, in the teaching, that's a, a, that really becomes a class about World War One and World War Two. Uh, so kids come out of that kind of knowing what happened in World War Two, quite honestly. And as someone that's taught that course and has tried to really be like, no, there's there's so much more going on in the 20th century you get stuck in world war ii especially because it's such a massive huge conflict right and so um but then 
and I and this is just in Ontario, which is where I live. I, every province in Canada, much like every state in the United States, has their own curriculum. Um, but in Canada, after grade ten, history becomes an elective. So that means you can choose to take it or you can choose not to take it. So if you're someone that was not into history, the last time you have to take it is grade ten, and then you could never take another history course in your life if you wanted. Now, I was super into it in high school, so I took uh, what was at the time was called Modern Western Civilizations, which was a European history course. You can take ancient history as an elective. You can take American history as an elective. You can take uh, – oh, there's, there's like um, – uh, Indian and Chinese history that you can take as an elective. Um, so there are all of these elective history courses that are out there, and the you know hardcore history kids gravitate to them. But uh, the general population ends their history education in grade ten, mm. um, and and most of them just kind of come away being like, I get it, Hitler was bad. <laughs> Stuff <laughs> happened, and now we're here. Yeah, uh, right, exactly. That, that's cool. Like, yeah, here we have social studies, but it's really kind of geography. It's like, hey, look at all these maps from all over the world. And sometimes stuff happened, but Texas history, that's what we got to talk about. Texas. We're, uh... Man, that's that's <laughs> fascinating. But, but Texas has an interesting history, right? Like, you're, of, of all the states in the United States, uh, Texas has had sort of one of the, the weirdest rides. Yeah, we were a country ourselves at one point. Right. We're super proud in Texas. Quick story. I, actually, I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. Years yeah. ago, there was a Dr. Seuss musical, The Seussical, and they toured yeah. around the country, and I went, so I'm a huge, I can't, I have a Dr. Seuss tattoo. Um, I love Dr. Wow. Seuss. Like, my high school thesis was written on Dr. Seuss, so I had to go see this. In the middle of the production, the dude stops, packed theater, sold out theater, all ages, and he's like, guys, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop to play for a minute. I've always wanted to do this, and he face, you know, I think it was the cat in the hat. Turns and faces the crowd and goes, "The stars at night are big and bright," and the entire room just goes deep in the heart of Texas. I mean, that we're we're kind of brainwashed down here. I'll be the first to admit. <laughs> so it, it's different, but yeah, when that's crazy, man. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, we have some myth, like borderline mythological figures here. You know, Davy Crockett, Sam Houston, right, uh, all these people that are. And, you know, Billy the Kid's right next door. Um, yeah. I've, we'll, I'll talk about Billy the Kid later, but when in your journey here, were you like, you know, I I want to bring more than just my classroom. You know, I, I tell my kids all these things, but I want to tell the world these stories. I think people out there need to know. When did that moment happen? So I'd already been teaching for uh, five years when I started the podcast, and um I got the idea from my classroom, so I was uh, telling stories one day, as I as I like to do. I was actually telling the kids about Rasputin, uh, and like it had come up just tangentially in the class, but I was like, "Oh, you guys got to hear this story." So I was telling them the whole tale about the assassination of Rasputin, and if any listeners don't know, I've done like two whole episodes on this. If you want to go check them out, but very quickly. The story of the assassination of Rasputin is a bunch of Russian aristocrats have him over to this very fancy mansion and they, they've been planning to kill him for a long time. They start by poisoning him. They give him all these pastries uh, and all this wine that has been dosed with cyanide. And he just keeps slugging it back and eating the pastries and nothing. Like He's not, not phased at all. And the guys that were supposed to, the, these murderers are like, oh my God. So they go into the other room and they're like, he's not dying. He's not dying. What do we do? And so they give a gun to one of the guys and like, you just got to shoot him. Like, this is enough of this. Let's just shoot him. So the story goes that he goes down there and then like at point blank range, just like, boom, shoots him in the chest. He drops to the ground. They're like, oh God, thank God. And then they, they leave the room and they're like having a drink, trying to calm their nerves. And then the one aristocrat's like, ooh, you know, maybe we should check on him. And they go back in, and he's, like, looking at him and listening. And as they're checking on him, we're told that he springs back to life like a human zombie, just comes back to life and is, like, shouting this guy's name. He's like, ah. And they're like, oh, my God. And 
they end up he, he gets up and runs Rasputin that is the formerly shot Rasputin starts running and so they get the gun out and they're starting to shoot him again shoot him again and they chase him all the way to the courtyard and eventually someone shoots him in the head and he drops down they roll him up in a carpet and then they cart him all the way to a nearby like almost frozen Russian river and toss him in the river and the story goes that the next day when they found him he was somehow out of the carpet and he had been frozen in a position that looked like he had been clawing at the ice so that the bullet to the brain somehow didn't kill him. Now, I know, I know, I just, here I go again. Right? I just told you a big, massive story. I tell this story to my class and one of the students in the back puts up his hand and is like, isn't that just a myth? Like, that didn't really happen. Like, that, that, I, I read somewhere that that was all made up. And I was like, ooh, uh, I had not heard that. I just heard this crazy story. I'm like, it makes sense. It seems like a completely unbelievable story. Uh, but that had been the story I'd always heard. And, and I didn't really have a great answer for him in the moment. I'm like, you know what? It does seem like it shouldn't be true. And yet that's the story. So that night I went home and I did a bunch more research into it. And what I learned is that we were both kind of right, that – the story that I was telling was the well-known popular account that had come from one particular Russian aristocrat who was there, uh, who wrote about it in his autobiography. And then I also learned that there's all these reasons why we shouldn't trust that guy, why that guy is an unreliable narrator. And so I brought all this information back to my class the next day. I'm like, let's pick this apart. Should we believe this story? We're going to read a bunch of documents, then we're going to kind of – I created a whole little uh, in-class activity where we were going to sort of draw our own opinion about the Rasputin story. And when I came away from it, I was like, oh, man, this is one of the best classes I've done in a long time. This was a really good history class. And I was like, this is a show. This is a show, right? You tell the story. You have a lot of fun with the story. And then you do the detective work. At the time, I was also listening to a ton of history podcasts, and there were like two or three that I thought were brilliant, that I really loved, and then there were a whole lot of others that I thought were, you know, so-so, and some that I thought sucked, quite frankly. And so I, I was like, you know what? I think I could do this. I think I, I think I could throw my hat in the ring, and I could be at least okay. And... I was lucky that early on people started listening and I was able to kind of build a listenership uh, relatively quickly. Uh, so that was really cool. And uh, I guess I have that one snarky kid to thank for uh, firing the idea. Nice. So Rasputin is kind of the, the father of your show. That's, I mean, if you got to have a mascot, that's a heck of a mascot to oh. have. <laughs> Do you want to hear something freaky? Do you want to hear something scary? Yes. Always. Okay, so... I don't think I've ever told this story. I've, I've never told it on my podcast or or maybe I don't think I have. But so I have an artist. He's a comic book artist. His name is Frank Fiorentino and he does all the art for my podcast. And when I was doing the Rasputin episodes, uh, he had this crazy experience when drawing a portrait of Rasputin. Um, and so he really got himself in the mood. Like he likes to like really get get in the zone when he's creating this art. He had turned on some like traditional Russian folk music to like get in the spirit of it, and was like, okay. And he was having a glass of wine, you know, to kind of like get in the, get in the the zone there. And then in this weird moment, like a shadow like hit his page, and it was the perfect profile of a, a face. And he was like, that's weird. And then he just traced around it. And then Rasputin had essentially appeared on the page. Like He just essentially drew the outline of the, the shadow and then sort of filled in the blanks with his artistic skill. And then there it was. And he was like, whoa, freaky. Now, the legend continues. So I just celebrated my 100th episode, did this big live show here in Toronto. And Frank was there and he was selling uh, prints of the art that he does for the show. And when he was at the printers, there was there was this re, re all of the images had gotten like weird white blotches on them. It all scratched up. It was some strange air. All of them, every single one, 
got weird blotches on it, except that weird Rasputin image. And not just one copy of that weird Rasputin image, all of the copies of that weird Rasputin image never were messed with in any way. And that kind of goes to Rasputin's legend that he was somehow this invulnerable man. And the way he paint, painted that or drew that that image was sort of haunted. And then sure enough, the haunting kind of continues. So Rasputin really has been a weird sort of ghostly presence around my entire podcast. And I'm not really a superstitious person, but well, I guess I am, or as <laughs> Michael Scott once said, I'm not superstitious, but I might be a little stitious. <laughs> right, that's, that's creepy and cool all at the same time. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> neat. Uh, you, you mentioned how this birthed from being in class. As you went forward, were there times where you would teach something in class and be like, that needs to be a show, or do a show where you're like, that needs to be a lesson in my class? Is there a lot of overlap there? Uh, yeah, yeah. When I first started, I, I went to topics that I already kind of knew a lot about, but then, you know, after five seasons and 100 episodes, you, you kind of run out of stuff that you're just naturally... Have, have already researched, so you have to start doing your own research. And there's been lots of times where I've discovered stuff on the show and I've been like, oh, this this would be great in the classroom. Um, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's sort of come to mind, but, oh, the most recently, uh, I'm teaching a, a class right now called World Issues. It's a grade 12 level course here in, uh, in Ontario. Uh, and I brought in a lot of the stuff that I had learned um, when I did the uh, I did a three-part series on um, the Congo Free State and King Leopold II, uh, and so that has actually been really valuable in that class uh, to sort of understand you know what the sort of 19th century perceptions of Africa were and basically how a guy was able to uh, use the perception that he was doing charitable work to essentially enslave a huge swath of people in the center of that continent so that came up recently <laughs> um i mean not nice that that happened but nice that you know you're able to have that cross crossover there you you mentioned research and going off of the things you know when you decide on your topic what next like how is your research uh for your show like how do you go about that like what books do you pick or articles and decide what not to use? How does that work? So first I kind of need to get a base level understanding of whatever I'm uh, I'm going to be exploring. So that will mean that I'll either, well, first I'll look up like what the n newest and best reviewed book on that topic is and most sort of a, um, a, has the most sort of scholarly love around it for lack of a better term. And I'll try and read that book cover to cover. Uh, and that'll just be to, just to get me started. Or another thing that I like to do is uh, I have an Audible account. And this isn't just like a plug for Audible. I actually really <laughs> use it. Um, but one really cool thing that they have there is university courses. So they have entire lecture series done by some of the greatest experts in the world on particular topics. And that can sometimes give me a nice base level of understanding. So... For instance, I just did this series on uh, the pyramids, and I just realized, like, I just need to learn a whole lot more about Egyptian history in general. And I didn't even use a lot of it, but I just, like, I just need to lay a base. So I found this lecture series. Uh, it was, like, you know, 25 hours of lectures on ancient Egypt from, you know, a, a well-regarded Egyptologist, a guy, a guy named Bob Breyer. And so I just put those on in my car, and I've got a, a, a commute that is... Depending on traffic, it can be half an hour or it can be an hour. The city of Toronto is funny like that. Um, but uh, – and so I've just, just absorbed uh, an entire sort of university lecture and then that usually points me to the other books I need to kind of go to from there. And so then it's a trip to the library to get uh, a whole bunch of other books that I'm going to sort of uh, use as sort of references to sort of check things off of. And then also I have a JSTOR account, um, and uh, those, I don't know if anyone out there uh, has done any academic research, but JSTOR is a online archive of uh, papers that have appeared in academic journals. Uh, 
And so I use JSTOR as also a way to kind of um, learn about topics, go deeper on things. Um, so yeah, that's kind of basically basically it. They'll be, I'll kind of start with like one whole book or one whole lecture series and then I'll go, okay, now I have sort of a baseline understanding of this topic. Now I need to go deeper and so, um, uh, so that's when I sort of bring in all the other sources and, and to be honest, I don't read every single book cover to cover. Uh, I, there's just be no time to do that but I do use them to sort of like if you read something somewhere and you're like, ooh, I don't know about that, or is that true somewhere else, then you, you want to check it. And so you, you, that's why you have your other sources there to sort of double check. And then also that is a spot where the internet can be handy is when you're like, hey, I'm not sure about this thing. And you kind of Google like, you know, uh, let's say it was like, you know, there's a chamber above this part of the pyramid and you go like, you know, pyramid chamber controversy or whatever it might be and put the word controversy beside it and see if anything comes up, see if anything's out there. And and sometimes that'll kind of ping something. You're like, oh, that sure enough, that little detail is um, contested. And so and sometimes you're not going to get an answer about what's right and wrong, but you can at least let your listeners know that, hey, this bit of information is still debated and so you know handle it with care take it with a grain of salt and, and make up your own mind one of the coolest things i think about your show uh that doesn't i, I feel like doesn't get enough love you do your own music and oh, thanks. it i think it's really neat because whatever the topic is you find a way to like um when you did robert was it Robert Johnson, the blues guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It all kind of had a, a blue twang to it. Uh, you know, it sounded yeah. bluesy. And then when yeah. you do, like, the P.T. Barnum stuff, it had a little more kind of showman. Circusy. Yeah. 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 Uh, how does that process go down? I, I am not a musician. I sure. I can barely play. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not great. So I think that's on top of all your research, on top of editing, recording, everything else, you're like... I'm going to make some songs also. Like, where did that come yeah. along? Well, I thank you, first of all. I appreciate that. And it's funny. The music tends to be a one of the most divisive things on the show. Uh, and oftentimes, if people are writing a kind of a more critical iTunes review, they're often not happy about the musical interludes. They're like, what is this? I don't want to hear this guy play guitar. Get back to the story, man. And so... I get it, but also uh, for me, the show was always a way to showcase um, all my creativity. And uh, I, I, that sounds totally up my own butt, but uh, uh, but I love playing guitar and I've been a music, well, an amateur musician since I was a teenager anyway. And I've had a lot of, you know, uh, Sem, you know, I, I don't want to say failed bar bands. We were successful at being bar bands, uh, but we've I've, I've been in I've been in a bunch of bar bands in my life, um, and uh, and so there's always been a part of me that's really loved music and really cared about music and really liked creating music, and so you know, way more people listen to my podcast than ever listened to one of my bands, and so I was like, well, you know what? If you're gonna listen to the podcast, you're gonna get a little bit of my music too. <laughs> All right, it's part of the package. Um, but when it comes to making the music, uh, I do it all with uh, a loop pedal. So um, I, I have—I just sort of set it up. Actually, in the office I'm sitting in right now, um, I set it all up uh, like right here, right where I'm sitting. Basically, I have my amp. I get out my guitar and I set up my loop pedal, and then I just create these sort of little. The cool thing about loop pedals, and anyone out there that's a guitar player and knows how loop pedals work knows that you can create sort of little mini orchestras um, just with one instrument by creating these loops. And so uh, one of my favorite things to do on like a Sunday or a Saturday morning is, you know, around you've been up for a little while, the house is already awake, you have a coffee and you just chill out and play guitar for a bit and then you just create one of these loops. And I don't really overthink the loops. Like I want them to sound as good as they can 
But when I've got something, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like kind of cool. I just record it, and that's one of them. Sometimes when I'm really thinking ahead, I'm like, okay, I really want this to kind of fit the theme, right? And so it's this one's going to, yeah, this one's going to sound more bluesy, or this one's going to be, you know, um, like I remember when I was doing the Miyamoto Musashi episodes, and there was sort of a samurai feel. I was like, okay, I don't want to go for like the really cheesy, like, like uh, stereotypical Japanese music, but I wanted it to feel like, you know, wandering samurai, you know, like that's, you just got to get yourself in that headspace and try and try and make something that, that seems to fit it. Uh, and for me, that's really fun. Like I don't find the music making to be that much work. And now I have a big enough library of these little transition uh, tunes that I, um, I do reuse them. And I think, uh, you know, eagle-eared listeners probably have noticed, like, oh, I think I've heard that one before, because uh, I do reuse them now, um, but I do try to create new ones uh, uh, regularly enough that it keeps it fresh, or at least fun for me, so, yeah, thanks, I'm glad you like the music, <laughs> I, it means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a music guy, I, I don't play, but, like, I, I know a bunch of mu- professional musicians and bands and stuff, and so I'm I'm always that guy who's like, "Ooh, music, that's cool." And so, when when you said early on in your show that you do the music, I was like, "Oh, wow!" I just steal music from my show. <laughs> I mean, I just I was like, "Oh, yeah, that sounds good. We'll use that." But so tough question for you. Sure. Out of all your topics, 100, 100 episodes, which is awesome. I mean, congratulations. A lot of people, you know, they get into podcasting and they do a few months and they're like, oh, okay, I'm done. You're 100 episodes in. That's awesome. What has been either your favorite topic or the most fun you've had uh, as far as all of those shows? Because you've done some really awesome multi-part shows that were really cool. Uh, and then some standalone ones that were just hard hitting like oh wow okay what has been like said your favorite and or most fun show that you've done great question first of all thanks so much for the the shout out on 100 episodes but i need to shout you out right back for getting to 1000 episodes my friend well done that is a truly impressive feat thank you thank you (laughs) hey man uh so you know uh, i guess game game recognizes game uh but uh uh the ones that always jump out to me as the really fun ones, I know we were just talking about music, but I did a two-part series on the question of who invented rock and roll. And I loved making those shows. And I ended up uh, putting out a version of them with all the music edited in just for my Patreon feed. At first, I was really worried about putting the music in the show because I thought I'd I'd get sued. Um, But then I learned that it technically fell into fair use if I only used a small clip because I was using it for the purposes of uh, criticism or historical education. Apparently that's a fair use, uh, you know, uh, loophole. Um, But even then I tried to be very um, careful, but I I think those episodes sound even better when you actually get to hear the music I'm, I'm referencing, but I just loved that question. And it, it took me back to these really early recordings from the late 40s, not even the 50s, from the late 40s of these uh, artists that were essentially making rock and roll before it was called rock and roll. And that was cool. That was like the stuff that just like, I, I loved that. I also love it when I can do topics on stuff that's so weird and hopefully hook people in on it. So I did a whole series on this figure named Helena Blavatsky who is a known as the mother of the occult and her writings essentially influenced um everything we think of as occult writing or even the new age movement um in the 20th century she's one of the few people that inspired both the hippies and the nazis and so anyone that can boast that that's an interesting person right um And so I loved getting into her weird story, and that actually gave me the opportunity to interview the author of of one of her biographies, uh, who's a guy named Gary Lockman. He used to go by the name Gary Valentine and was the first bass player in the band Blondie. If you know Blondie. Yeah. uh, 
Yeah, and uh, and he was great and really gracious and uh, and an interesting guy. And then he told me this amazing story about David Bowie. Uh, he he met David Bowie and and he told me that he was hanging out with David Bowie at this party, and in like the late seventies. And I guess at the time David Bowie had these supermodels who were kind of his bodyguards in that era. Uh, that was like part of his entourage where these just like incredibly beautiful women that kind of acted as his, like his, his bodyguards. And so Gary Lockman is at this party with David Bowie and David Bowie is sort of, uh, holding court talking about, uh, the occult and someone goes, Oh, you should really talk to Gary about that. You know, he's a bit of an expert and Bowie kind of turns to him and it's like, Oh, well, what do you think about this? And Gary Lockman proceeds to kind of be an occult nerd on him and starts going like, well, actually, David, everything you just said is completely incorrect. <laughs> and David Bowie just kind of turned away from him. And like a couple minutes later, one of these supermodel bodyguards comes up to him and goes, David would like you to leave. <laughs> so he gets kicked out of this party for being an occult know-it-all. The fact that I know that story makes me very happy. The fact that a guy told me that story and like had this crazy interaction with David Bowie, this, this author himself, Gary Lockman, is himself a part of the, the history of rock and roll um, and wrote this fascinating book about one of the weirdest people I've ever, I've ever encountered. I love it when the podcast takes me in those directions. I love it when something surprising like that happens. And I know we've been talking a ton about music, but... I love it. I love music, and any time the, the podcast has gone in that direction, it's great. Um, but I also love the classical mythology stuff. The series I did on the Trojan War, which I think was in my first season, I think back to that one a lot, and I think I, I think that I remember those fondly. I haven't gone back and listened to them in a long time, but I have this sort of running joke on my show about Heinrich Schliemann, uh, who was the archaeologist who discovered Troy, right? So I do the dun-dun-dun, Schliemann. Uh, and just because he needed a little a little tag because he was just this this scallywag who was always sort of kind of committing these crimes and then being heralded as a hero and so he needed a little a, a little just musical what would you say like, uh, a tag, theme a yeah tag. Yeah, yeah musical theme um and so yeah I, I i still i think i brought up schleeman you know just again a few episodes ago so uh those those also sort of stand out in my mind but you know, as you know, you know, you, I, I, I connect with all of the topics and I really care about all the topics and I always try and find something about them that I think is fun and I think is interesting and something that hopefully you haven't heard a million times somewhere else. Right. And, uh, I don't, I don't want you to listen to our fake history and be like, oh, I heard all about that on the history channel or I read about that on like, you know, just some chintzy website somewhere. I want you to come away with something new, or at least a different perspective on it. Nice. Yeah. Um, again, mu music. Love music. I, I actually live in just outside of Lubbock, Texas, home of Buddy Holly. Yeah. So, where yeah. it's weird. Like people who know music know Buddy Holly. Like he's the reason we have the Beatles and the Stones. But that. Oh, yeah. So, has there ever been a time where you've come up with a topic and you start doing the deep dive, doing the research, and it's just not there, and like you have to let it go and you're just like man there's just i'm interested in this but there's not enough content for either not enough content or i can't prove it right or wrong mm -hmm. yeah sometimes it's just hard to find the the story like or the topic is so huge that finding the right angle on it is tough the one that always comes to mind is the french revolution i think the french revolution is so interesting and it's a moment in history that I have been fascinated by for a long time. But trying to talk about it on the podcast is really tough because it's so big and so complicated and you need to give people so much context to understand it that it's it's hard to, to sum up in a nice pithy way. Now, I kind of worked around it recently on my 100th episode where I did a, a little short story just about – uh, the storming of the Bastille and Bastille Day uh, and what that means in France. And so I was able to sort of just do a small French Revolution story 
um, to hopefully you know, bust a, a very well-known myth uh, that has to do with the French Revolution. But man, you know, like I've, I've, I've thought about doing, was the terror really so terrible? Uh, but it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. And there's no way to tell the story of the terror or what we, we call the terror without telling the entire story of the French Revolution. And it's, it's tough because I, I want people to know more about it. Um, but it's, it's almost too big. <laughs> it, so there you go. Our fake history season eight, the French revolution, like just yeah. 20 episodes of the French revolution. Yeah. Uh, that... but, but, yeah. But also in another one of my big white whales that I will get to one day is also, you know, all the myths associated with your revolution, the American revolution, uh, and particularly George Washington. George Washington is one of those characters that is just like oozing with mythology that uh, I do plan to uh, take on one of these days. Uh, he's and, and when I was at my my live show, one of my listeners called it uh, a white whale. He asked me if I had any white whales that I hadn't yet taken on in the show, and I think George Washington is definitely one of the white whales. You're just going through all the Assassin's Creed games now. Like I'm like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> And when you said your revolution, I was like, the Texas Revolution? Okay, oh, that'd yeah, be okay. Right, of, course. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah, forget it. I'm talking to a Texan. Yeah, man, we're, we're Texan first and then yeah. American. Uh, <laughs> but that that's funny. Uh, so are there, I mean, I know there's topics you said you weren't going to talk about, but do you ever have listeners, like, request topics and you're just like, like, how do you approach them? You know, do you say, hey, that's something I'm not going to talk about or, you know, that's a good idea, but we're not going to use it or just ignore them. I mean, how how do you deal with suggestions yeah. for show? Or it may, it may even be something like, I just don't want to talk about. It. I don't care about that. I don't want to talk about that. You know, I know you can't tell them that, but how, how do you yeah. handle suggestions that either you can't do or won't do? I'm pretty honest with people and I I'm always honored that anyone wants to take the time to send me a message, right? Like, I remember when I first started the show and zero people wanted to talk to me and my Twitter feed was pretty lonely. And so I, now I consider myself very lucky that there's people out there that care enough about the show to write a message. So you can't take that for granted. And my listeners have suggested great topics and I've done a lot of listener suggested topics and I will probably do more in the future. So I actually welcome the suggestions because, uh, you know, I need, I need fodder for the podcast. And so good suggestions are great. Um, the stuff that I tend to shoot down first, the stuff that I think is boring or just not with inside the scope of the, uh, the podcast is, um, stuff that usually falls more into like the modern conspiracy genre. So uh, I recently did a, a thing on the moon landings, but I've been staying away from that because I'm like, ah, oh, that's more modern conspiracy stuff. But like, for instance, like, you know, you can go deep on like the JFK assassination, for instance, uh, speaking of Texas. Um, but uh, I, I don't think I will go into the JFK assassination because, again, it's into modern conspiracy. Uh, and I'm not I, I'm less interested in that in general. And um, there's a million shows out there already that talk about that stuff. And uh, I want my show to talk about some stuff that's a little different. The other stuff I'll shoot down is when someone suggests a topic and there's no uh, fake history angle. So sometimes they'll be like, have you ever thought about this historical event? And I'll go, it's a fascinating event. But like, what's the myth? What's the misconception? What's the legend? What's the the thing we got wrong about it? Like there always has to be that angle or else I'm just, you know, I, I really want to stay true to the premise of the show. There's a lot of really sort of free form history shows out there. And I like that my show kind of is, is true to a particular angle. Um, and so if the if the topic doesn't have that angle, then I'll say, sorry, you know, there's got to be a misconception. There's got to be. There's got to be something here. And I'm pretty loose with what I consider fake fake history. Um, as long as there is a debate, a controversy, it's always best when there's a completely made-up story that I can kind of really bust apart. And those are the best ones. 
But I will also allow things that are like, well, this is just a weird controversial thing. That I still think falls under my purview. And the final part is things that are about religions. (laughs) So I recently dipped my toe into it because I talked about whether or not there was a actual historical exodus that being you know like when the israelites you know fled from egypt like in the old testament and so i and i didn't get too much heat back from that one so that was good i must have handled it with enough care but a lot of people have asked me to do was there a real jesus danger will robinson i'm like Oh, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to touch that, you know, like I'm afraid of it. It's and and not that I don't have the because the, the what's too bad is that there's actually a lot of really fascinating research on that question. And it's not completely black and white. There's actually a story to tell there about, you know, OK, well, there's the, the biblical sources. And then let's see if there's anything else outside of the Bible. And, and that's actually a really interesting question and, and one that I'd love to explore. But, man, can you imagine the hate mail? Oh. You know? Well, and it goes, it's something you mentioned uh, earlier in the week is you don't want people to feel dumb. Like, just because they believed yeah. that there was... And I, I, when you're toying with... That, that's not believing that Billy the Kid escaped, you know, 20 times for prison. That's That's like a foundational belief. So... Yeah, I, I see where you're kind of like, well, uh, do I do I want to tell somebody, yeah. or or even on the opposite side, if it's somebody who fundamentally like believes there wasn't, you're like, well, actually, you know, and uh, yeah, I see yeah. that's that's a good good topic to to shy away from for for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, even though even though it could be interesting, and the thing is, like, I and I, I've said this on the show a lot of times, like, I'm not a religious person. I, I do I do not. Uh, uh, subscribe to any religion, but with that said, um, I'm also not a uh, an evangelical atheist, and I know there are folks out there that are kind of on that side of it too. And I, I really think that people uh, have the right to uh, uh, make up their own minds about things, and I, I don't think there's anything um, wrong about someone having faith, or even particularly ignorant about someone having faith. Uh, I have a lot of room in my heart for people of faith, uh, you know, be they Christians, Jews, Muslims, uh, Hindus, Buddhists, whatever. And and I'm actually fascinated by religion. And so that's kind of why I'm like, oh, there's a part of me that wants to take that stuff on. Like, I'd love to do, was there a real Buddha? Like, was the Buddha a real character? But then that opens the floodgates, mm-hmm. right? And I, I couldn't imagine getting too much hate mail from the Buddhists, but... <laughs> You never know. You never know. And then it's like, well, if you're going to do the Buddha, then why not Muhammad and why not Jesus and why not Moses and why not all the the, the kind of great religious figures? And then I, then I know I'm just going to – I'll step in it the wrong way despite all my best intentions, despite wanting to kind of handle it with sensitivity and empathy. I'll still step in it because <laughs> I'll say something that's like, you know – unorthodox and someone will get pissed and yeah. at the end so uh, I, I, I I'm still afraid of those topics sadly I don't blame you uh, listening to you talk about all this I was thinking I was like well I'll come up with like a cool Texas myth like about either Davy Crockett or Bowie's knife or the Alamo but it's kind of the same thing like if you say the wrong thing about a Texas myth it it's kind of like saying the wrong thing about Jesus so maybe maybe I won't sure. come up with anything <laughs> Man, it, Texas, they don't mess around. <laughs> I guess, well, you don't mess with Texas, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, it that is not a myth. Uh, <laughs> but, now, so it, it's, it just fascinates me. And going back to Monday's show, it's interesting. It's, it's all interesting, your process and everything. And so I, I just want to say not only thank you for being on the show this week, but oh. thank you for your podcast. It, like I said, I've learned so much. I've gotten some some laughs out of it i've gotten some head scratches you know all sorts of it, it delivers on everything and that's what I, as soon as i heard the first episode i was like i need this guy on my show i just want to talk to him hang out like you you did for your on the show a big event i was like man i, I want to fly up there and have a beer but it didn't yeah. didn't work out but for for your two hundreds, we'll we'll come visit for the two hundreds. We'll see, hey, and who knows, man? I'd uh, I'd love to make it down to Texas one of these days. I hear uh, actually my my parents 
who are also massive music fans, just did a big uh, tour through Louisiana and Texas, and they were in uh, San Antonio, uh, and they were just, just seeing music all the way through, just checking out shows. And then they were in Austin, um, there for like the Austin City Limits Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, as a music fan, you cannot be a fan of rock and roll or the history of American music and not give love to the great state of Texas. No. <laughs> so uh, one of these days I'll go down there and I'll eat a lot of meat and I'll see some great bands and we should hang out and, and have a beer. Yes, definitely. But yeah, uh, before we leave, where can people find you out there in internet land? You can uh, always go to my website. That's ourfakehistory.com. Uh, check out my all my archives there. Check out all the art that's on that website. You can get the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. All the apps have it. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Our Fake History or go to the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Our Fake History. Awesome. And one final, final thing. You recently won an award for Canadian podcasting. You were recognized, um, at, at, well, I think you're the best Canadian podcast, but I don't. <laughs> uh, so congratulations, uh, congratulations. on, on that one. And that was, uh, you've gotten to be all over CBC. You So, again, we're super thankful that you took the time to come be on our our little West Texas podcast down here. It's all good. Hey, the podcasters got to stick together. I know how it is. You know, it's, uh, you know, you got to you got to you got to give love to get get love. So uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. It was actually a lot of fun this whole week that we've been (laughs) together. So uh, so thanks so much for having me. Thanks. And for you out there listening, you know, if you have some crazy history you want to know more about. Go check out the archives. There's, It's probably been touched on, but if not, throw up the suggestion. Um, it's always a good time. Thank you all for listening to us. Find us out there everywhere. Just look for The Night Nerd. Uh, that's it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>